Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Misinformation and disinformation have become some of the biggest threats to democracy in the 21st century. It's everywhere, from stories of election fraud to vaccines. How can we combat misinformation and disinformation while still protecting freedom of speech? What can governments do to curb mis- and disinformation? I'm Robin Allison Davis. This podcast is the second in a series on reinforcing democracy and in partnership with the OECD's Public Governance Directorate. To help us make sense of the issues and how we can tackle them, I'm speaking today with Julio Basio Terracino, the head of public integrity at the OECD. Thank you for joining me today, Julio. Thanks for having me. Can you let our listeners know what is misinformation and disinformation, and why is the OECD tackling this topic? Disinformation, I dare say, is one of the biggest challenges for our societies today, and I would say for the future. Actually, false and misleading information has been around us forever. Already, King James II of England made a proclamation in 1688 to restrain the spreading of false news. So actually, fake news have been around us for quite some time. Well, that's definitely quite a long time. Exactly. In general, misinformation is more of a catch-all term covering false or inaccurate information that is shared unknowingly and is not disseminated with the intention of deceiving the public. Disinformation is usually defined as false, inaccurate, or misleading information, but that is deliberately created, presented, and disseminated. So the intentionality is important to this differentiate misinformation from disinformation. But what is new is, is, is actually is the technology is, is that has given this information a whole new dimension. I would say, I mean, it has changed uh, what's about the source, what's related to the reach and to the speed of information or disinformation. The emergence of, of online communication spaces uh, and social media have virtually allowed anyone to instantaneously become a source of information or a source of disinformation. It has also allowed to amplify that uh, content globally at a speed that has never seen before. So while we, we have had you know, this information, as I said, for a long time, it is now that has reached a level that is threatening the f- foundations of our societies and our democracies. Um, there is plenty of evidence that shows this now. Uh, we now. We know that tweets containing false information were 70% more likely to be retweeted than accurate tweets. And false information on Facebook attracted six times more engagement than factual posts. So this information isn't just, a, uh, as I said, an, an abstract threat. It's, it's a very much a real and offline threat. And as I said, the highest offline threat is on democracy. So what are the challenges of disinformation and misinformation? You've spoken a lot about technology and the speed with which they're spread. What are some of the challenges that we're facing? We face many challenges. We focus mostly on the challenges related to democracy, because if you think about it, the ability for people to communicate and express themselves is the foundation of a vibrant democracy. And technology has actually allowed for more communication and, and more expression. But of course, at the same time, technology and social media and digital platforms have facilitated this spread of mis- and disinformation, contributed to 
appending traditional media markets and reinforced the polarization and fragmentation of national and international political landscape. Indeed, technology has been, in this case, a double-edged sword. Can you tell us a little bit more about the impact of disinformation on democracy? I mean, in concrete, what I mean here is the amplification of mis- and disinformation can convince people to believe things that are not true. And this can be especially harmful if, if focused on demonizing political opponents, in distorting policy debates, or undermining democratic institutions. Broadly, the spread of what we call fake news or disinformation makes it more difficult to access timely and accurate information for people. So it can undermine the people's willingness and ability to engage in democratic life, and down the line, the ability of society to force con- forge consensus. So unfortunately, I think we are already evidencing this uh, in, in most societies around the globe. So building on what you just said, it sounds like responding to disinformation needs a systemic approach. What is the OECD's contribution to this? We are not just looking at mis- and disinformation, but rather looking at how we can build uh, resilience and reinforce uh, information integrity, how we can create the conditions for informi- information to be reliable and be transparent and be authentic information. So supporting information integrity and more specifically counteracting the, the threat posed by mis- and disinformation is a system-wide problem. This is what we mean by systemic approach. They will require governments to pursue a systemic and a whole-of-society approach, much beyond just working with social media companies. This is what we call this systemic response that would be about first building and creating the capacities across the whole of society for citizens themselves to identify disinformation and act upon it, but also establishing the needed government architecture to deal with this challenge, which is in many ways new, and that's why governments need to adapt and create the mechanisms internally within government to address this challenge and to take the specific measures or adopt the policies that will correct what I will call this disinformation distortions or distortions to disinformation integrity. And in this systemic response, is there any risk that by tackling disinformation we may affect other values of society? I'm thinking about freedom of expression, which may be affected when we try to combat disinformation. I want to perhaps warn about two risks related to this. The first is that the governance of information systems has and should continue to be not in the hands of governments. Governments are not the owners of the facts and even less of the truth. All they can do is create the conditions to help society through journalists and media and civil society and citizens to be resilient to this information. The second big risk is the absolute requirement to maintain and nurture freedom of speech. Um, Interestingly, this information actually restricts freedom of speech. One way of silencing others is by flooding them with information, particularly false false or misleading information. This is so-called reverse censorship, uh, and which leads to confusion and prevents people from expressing freely their opinions as they are captured by false narratives. We should also keep in mind that if we do not address this information, we are also attacking or impairing freedom of speech. You mentioned building resilience across society. Can you elaborate what you meant by that? 
Well, by resilience across society, perhaps a better word is to say building uh, the capacities across societies, giving them the tools um, and the knowledge to themselves discern what's disinformation from uh, information. Um, and here we have many examples of, of already many efforts that are being carried out in many countries to build uh, this capacity, for example, through media and digital literacy efforts. The OECD PISA results show that less than half of 15-year-old students in OECD countries were successful in distinguishing fact and opinion. And here, our colleagues from uh, the OECD Education Directorate are doing amazing work to identify policies and practices that will provide children with the tools and the competencies to identify themselves disinformation. And beyond working with children, anything else that governments could do to equip our societies to face mis- and disinformation? So that's what's one way of building resilience among children. A second set of measures that increase society's resilience against disinformation would ensure a more constructive relationship between governments and non-governmental actors. So, for example, how does a government interact with fact checkers? How does a government interact with private sector uh, to take down requests for social media companies, etc.? So it, it, it requires a new governance framework in this interaction between them. And one last point, definitely not the least, and, and perhaps the most important, is to, to how to promote and maintain a diverse and independent media sector. Because if we have on the one hand this information, we need to ensure that we have on the other the sources that will provide factual and um, well-researched uh, and unbiased as much as possible information. And this many times comes from what we call traditional media and especially local media. So here governments uh, are exploring and could focus on supporting public service broadcasters, providing financial support to independent media, preventing, taking measures to prevent media capture, et cetera, and these sorts of, these sorts of initiatives. So is misinformation and disinformation, is it really a social media problem? No, I would say it's not only a social media problem. It is started or amplified by social media, of course, but uh, there is something also that we call the feedback loops, which is actually we see it more and more that traditional media pick up uh, um, disinformation, fake news, if we can call them like that, uh, from social media. And this is now then uh, disseminated through traditional media. And unfortunately, we see this more and more. That's why uh, we also uh, have to consider when we are thinking about this information, these other, non, these other aspects that are not related to social media. So any, any approach or any policy or any... Um, intervention to address the, the challenge of this information needs to also take into account these other actors outside of the social media companies. And that's where I guess the institutional support by governments for traditional media would help. Maybe they would not be picking up the misinformation. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, and also the, some of the same issues that we see on uh, on social media, we also see it on traditional media about their sources, about being biased, etc. So there is sort of a parallelism that we can do with social media, with traditional media. There is a difference, which is in the end, traditional media, there are structures that were put in place decades ago to 
create some sort of framework to ensure that there is an editorial responsibility. You know who's behind uh, a piece of information that is put by traditional media. So you know very much who's the source, and then you, you can choose to believe it or not. Whereas in social media, many times this is opaque. We do not know who's behind it. And for certain people, this will um, um, perhaps blindly believe it without knowing that the source may be uh, um, a Russian troll or, uh, um, or a person that has a, an agenda behind a particular issue. There's a lot of debate right now about regulation on these social media platforms. Is it the role of the platforms or the government? Or is it more of a partnership? Definitely, there's a lot of debate about regulation. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a conversation that is complicated, but one that we cannot avoid. Um, I think it's, it's a partnership, but perhaps not a partnership in the way you're thinking uh, about. We have already initiatives which is more on the self-regulation side, which is social media companies or digital platforms regulating themselves, taking their initiatives to address uh, many of the challenges around the digital services, but especially on these issues of disinformation. However, we see that there is there's a limit to how much that can achieve. On the other hand, we see also uh, more and more calls for regulation from the government side. Here, um, I think it's not anymore a matter of uh, whether we need regulation, I think it's only a matter of when this type of regulation will come because there is more and more agreement that some sort of regulation is needed. Um, however, questions still need to be answered on, on what exactly to regulate and how to design these regulations. Uh, it, it, it remains very much uh, a debate. We need to be clear at the outset of the need to think about the aims of the regulation. What, what are we trying to achieve? Um, in, in, in my mind, I, I think we should keep in mind what, what values should such regulation promote. And definitely we should talk about, you know, regulation should preserve free speech, privacy and democratic engagement as uh, foundations for regulatory responses. And what aspects of social media can be regulated? Until now, many of the more constructive regulatory discussions have focused on the process issue. So the process by social media companies to moderate the information space and how they make decisions, but not regulation on the actual content or, or whether a, a piece of information is true or not true. Of course, that's not the type of regulation that we want. And the aim in, in any discussion on regulation, uh, for now at least, is on transparency. But we still don't know exactly transparency of what, what level, etc. But just to give you a, a, an idea of some of the discussions, uh, that we see is, uh, first, perhaps more transparency on the information that social media companies or digital platform, platforms have. And this is very much needed to get better understanding and better information on what's going on, what, what is going on in relation to this information. Actually, a lot of this information is in the hands only of social media companies. So um, regulation could be related to uh, asking uh, these companies to share metadata uh, with external researchers. And actually, Australia already has proposed legislation to provide the Australian Communications and Media Authority with the ability to collect information on Australia-specific content. So that's one, one aspect of sort of making transparent the information around um, 
um, around in, in the possession of social media companies around this information. Also, um, regulation could uh, encourage a more effective and transparent content moderation activity, and this could include requiring online platforms to clarify in plain language how they moderate content, uh, requiring online platforms to report regularly on actions taken against mis- and disinformation, or requiring them to be subject to regular audits of how their content management policy is implemented. And last, I mean, uh, not to uh, bore you with a long list of, of possibilities for regulation, but the one that is also very much mentioned in research and in, in, in debates around the world today is about increasing transparency and understanding of algorithms. Algorithms, of course, are designed and function in a way that you will get um, information, a piece of information that will be related to researches that you have done before or posts that you have done before, creating what we call this echo chamber um, effect. Um, but that actually creates a problem that uh, this information is then spread very quickly and is amplified to a global um, uh, to a global uh, reach um, in in a way that we had never seen before. So by looking at the way these algorithms are designed, we could perhaps slow down this uh, pace or reduce a bit this reach, this global reach that is almost uh, immediate. So what's next for the OECD in supporting countries in these efforts? The OECD countries have agreed to establish what we call the Dismiss Resource Hub, which is, is, is basically a, a forum for learning and sharing between countries on what policies are needed to design this whole of society response to the information that I was talking about and how to increase information integrity. So uh, our efforts uh, will, will be around uh, furthering uh, the understanding and analyzing and informing the global conversation around these governance responses to try, and try to answer three questions, basically what, what countries are doing, uh, what has worked and what countries can learn from each other and how this knowledge can build information integrity and in the end reinforce democracy. This month, you're having the Building Trust and Reinforcing Democracy Ministerial in Luxembourg. Can you tell us a bit more about the ministerial meeting? Um, the ministerial meeting is, uh, it's, as you said, meeting in Luxembourg on 18 November 2022 under the theme Building Trust and Reinforcing Democracy. And, and the ambition is to renew efforts to safeguard democracies in OECD countries. These, these countries are, are fairly mature democracies with, with advanced democratic processes, but nevertheless, they suffer from a number of challenges, uh, such as the ones that we're going to be discussing at, at the meeting will be around representation, upgrading representation, increasing citizen participation and openness in public life, also transforming governance for digital democracy, how to govern green, and embracing the global responsibilities of governments and building resilience to foreign influence. And of course, this information that we just discussed uh, before. So ministers will adopt a, a declaration and, and will commit to increasing efforts to improve governance in all of these areas. And, and the goal is to protect and deepen our democratic institutions so they are resilient and fit for the 21st century. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julio. This has been a very enlightening conversation. Thanks to you. And to learn more about the OECD's work on democracy, go to www.oecd.org slash reinforcing-democracy. 
To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD. OECD.